Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. I'm Louis J, and you're with me at Staying Alive. All right, so uh, we're on to our second podcast, the second of many. Second of many. Um, that first one was a really good podcast. We got to know you, got to know a little bit about your background, how you got to be. And we talked about a lot of things, but one of the interesting things uh, that we talked about, which I think we should dive a little deeper in, is... Uh, a comment you made about service. Uh, and after that podcast, we were kind of wrapping away saying, you know, we should kind of really focus in on that, dive a little deeper and um, talk about all the variations of service, how it's changed over the years. And uh, you made an interesting um, point saying that uh, getting the user experience right um, services, the opportunity to connect with customers and audiences and stand apart from competition. Well, this is a, this is a topic that I love because it's the point of difference for a business, for a professional, for a service environment, hospitality. Um, customer service is the cornerstone of success and failure. And as far as I'm concerned, those that get it right are doing it in a way that makes people feel very comfortable. And those that don't get it unfortunately become uh, kind of the way of the dodo bird. Um, they'll survive long enough to be able to told what they're doing wrong. And when they realize it, perhaps it's too late. So for me, it's service. Service is everything. It's the, um, it's the backbone of any great environment. And I'll give you a good example. Um, great service at a restaurant can salvage a bad meal, a bad Service experience at a restaurant will never survive a great meal. Like in the sense that, you know, a server can make a difference in how they turn the experience around. Even in the steak is, is not good. And uh, the food quality was average at best. People would choose to return because the service and the environment was so bang on and it made them feel comfortable. And I think sadly we've, uh, we've gone a long time now without a service standard in a lot of businesses that uh, make us feel great. And that's where I think we've got an opportunity to address the situation, to make sure that people that are in retail environments, not unlike the shop, uh, people that are in hospitality, hotels, restaurants, um, people that are uh, in event, you know, uh, hosting events, conferences, trade shows, and whatnot, can really uh, take a, a, a note from our grandparents and the time when service was at its best. And it all comes back to understanding the customer, knowing the customer, and not only meeting, but exceeding the expectation of the customer. And what I mean by that is, if you were to flash back to your romantic idea of the 1940s, and the barbershops that would have been around then, uh, the general store, the auto uh, dealership. The gas station. The gas station and attendant. They would, they would pump the gas and five guys would come out. Clean the windshield, check the oil. They'd make sure that the bumpers were shiny. The I mean, tires were filled. Yeah, and they did it because 
It was an expectation. However, it was also a care. It was a concern that I'm going to give you my best. And uh, I think that was the, the gold standard. It's what you expected, even from the gas attendant. It was pleasant. It was inviting. It was a reason to recall them and feel good about it. And more importantly, it was an invitation to come back. And I think uh, the big machine started rolling. You know, everybody got busy. Time starved. You flash forward, uh, or sorry, fast forward a decade or two, and then recognize they're in a total different space. When uh, service started to turn into, can I get them a sale? Can I put it on sale? Can I discount it? Did the economics of running a business have a play in that? Because let's look at the gas station, for example. You had five guys standing there, right? Everybody taking a salary. Um, did that have a big play in it as well? I think when uh, the focus on profitability, and it was always a focus on being profitable. However, I think our our insatiable need to make more, to earn more, and to turn more dollars really started to drive you know, how we spent our money. So no longer was it a chance to afford five attendants. Let's bring it down to two. And quite honestly, you know, as it started to unfold, let's bring it down to one. Um, let's not have somebody greet them at the front door. Let's not have somebody tour them around the store to find the perfect, you know, uh, shirt size. Um, let's put all the product on a rack. Let's put a sign. Let's make sure they understand it's on sale. Let's drive them into the store by how we're going to run the economics behind this. The saleability of a product no longer required the service of an attendant. And so this automation in, in, uh, in retail, certainly, um, translated into a self-serve environment where we began to become accustomed to helping ourselves. Gas attendants went by the wayside and we were pumping our own gas. And the expectation for somebody to be there just meant that we're going to pay more money. And I think, so to your point, economics had a lot to do with it. And sadly, uh, we lost sight of what was really important. And I think now when we're in this time, especially coming out of COVID, <clears throat> we're going to find the environments are changing significantly in trying to recoup and regenerate that service notion of a of a bygone era. And to that point, I think it goes so far as to recognizing again, who's my audience, what's going to impress them. How do I invite them back and what memorable experience did I give them? You know, so, you know, for environments like, like a retail shop, like cabin, uh, we got a chance to really pump the tires as it were to really impress people, to make sure that there's, a reason for them to talk about the experience that they had after they've left the shop and the store. And that I think is number one. Like we've got to create these environments that bring people to this, this memory of the experience so that they become, you know, so happy with it that they can't help but tell their friends. Right. And of course, digital age, you know, we've come to this time where every experience gets, rated and reviewed and you know either you're, you're living by reviews or you're not but the reality is is they're there they can't be erased so a good experience often goes unmentioned whereas a bad experience is often echoed through the uh, the halls of the social media channels 
And I think that's a real that's a real indicator for us that we've got to pull up our socks when it comes down to making sure that people's experiences are so great that they have no choice but to talk favorably about you and your and your staff and your team and the uh, the feeling you had. And uh, I'll even expand. Um, the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas, for right. example. Um, well, practically any hotel in Las Vegas has got a service um, standard that's at excellence. There's always an assistant. There's always um, uh, a welcome. There's always something that makes people realize that they are in the right place. And if they weren't, somebody's going to direct them in the in the place that they need to be. Um, but they go even further. They they equate service with the brand. And so the Venetian Hotel goes so far as to say that our service level and our excellence comes right down to the tactical, um, you know, experiences that we give you. So when you first open those doors at the Venetian, you know, grand as they are, like every other hotel in Las Vegas, mm. you're automatically hit by a wave of uh, scent. You get a fragrance. You get a brand experience that says, I'm in the Venetian. And all of a sudden, now you're predisposed to, to feel something. You've made me have an emotional response just by making the environment smell like something. Um, it goes even further, you know, where companies recognize that that's a piece of service, but so is the sound, so is the lighting, so is the, uh, the way the staff greet you. And, again, I think we talked about it earlier in the, in the last episode, but um, there has to be a standard that all the team are working on to make sure that we all fall into the same place, that that was a great experience, you know, at the Venetian, at Cabin, at, uh, you know, the Irish pub, um, because everything was equal, the scent, the sound, the environment, the lighting. And I put that into a service category. It goes far beyond the person sitting behind cash or standing behind the chair or at the desk. It has all of these tactical experiences connected to service. And I think when brands and people and uh, environments spend some time and attention on what that does for the user experiences, it allows us to make those connections. It allows us to now develop a relationship um, so that when people feel good, they respond good. And in saying that, they speak nicely about you so that the next experience that comes in is already predisposed to feel good. So I think it's, it's something that we're seeing more of now, but certainly not enough. Yeah, you talked about the digital age, and um, some people might argue that brick and mortar, uh, although it's around, has a very short shelf life for some, and some people are launching companies strictly digital. How do you, um, without greeting those people, without the smells, I mean, your graphics on your, your web page might be helpful, but how do people throw throw the service towel out there so that they have that experience and they come back? Well, what happens uh, online is likely more important than what actually happens in brick and mortar. You can you can see and feel what happens in brick and mortar, but I can't necessarily see what happens at 2 o'clock in the morning when you're shopping for your favorite pair of shoes. So what brands and people have to do um, is get back to the user experience. They have to become the customer. And I think that's some of the uh, areas where I've been fortunate enough in my life 
um, I've been given a gift where I understand behavior and I understand the mindset of the purchasing consumer. And when did that come to you? Very early, very early on where um, I recognized when things weren't right. And I was very critical. I was critical of why the cash register was in that space, why the food buffet was put back there. I saw it really early on and I became very critical and I couldn't understand how somebody could design such a great environment, but didn't put the user experience first. And, you know, it wasn't even called user experience because I was young. I was a kid, but I recognized that it wasn't what I was going to do. And that's what made the difference. I started becoming very nitpicky about the environments. As a matter of fact, one of my dreams for the longest time was to open a coffee shop. It just so happened to be around the same time that Friends was very popular. Uh, not that that was my influence, but it was kind of like a connection. This is really a time for coffee and tea houses to come to life. And I remember I had the black book, and the black book was like my Bible. I didn't call it a service Bible or anything like that, but I had notes in it. And those notes were for every coffee shop that I traveled to. And I used to, you know, when I was younger, we were traveling all over the place, you know, Canada, U.S., uh, Europe. And I would always have my black book. And on one page, if I was in a cool coffee shop, I would write all the things I loved about what they did. You know, whether they, their, their, their uh, dishware was specific or different, the smell of the place, the environment, the chalkboard, when nobody was using chalkboards. I'd write all the things that I loved about it. And then on the other side, I'd write the things that I thought they had wrong. And I was so critical of what they did wrong that usually that page was filled faster and then I would take all the best ideas, and then that was going to be my coffee shop. But you're not looking at it in a negative sense. You're looking at it as, a, as an improvement, a way to improve uh, this experience. Well, that's exactly it. It, it became a chance for me to um, evaluate, not negatively, to your point. It, is, it was never to look at it and say what they did wrong. It was like, man, could they ever do this better? Right. And they were already doing so many great things because, hey, I was there and I saw great things. And so, you know, the left page was always the good things. The right page of the things that I would correct um, and wouldn't allow happen, whether it was processing, whether it was time at the cash register, whether it was identifying product pricing. You know, all of those things come back down to service because it's connected to user experience. And user experience is... You being able to be somebody that you're not to understand who your customer is and then to serve them, to truly serve them in a way that satisfies them. And that could be a level that's much higher than your expectation and it could be a level that's much lower. But knowing that audience is so uh, critical in trying to write the script for service. And I recall, you know, marketing um, in the early days of me being in, an advertising agency, it was my job from a strategy standpoint to become the purchasing public. And I'll give you a good example. Um, we were marketing tap shoes. It was, a, it was a new European brand that was coming to North America. And uh, I had to become... That's a challenge. Well, yeah, it was <laughs> like, this is a tap shoe, you know, and although they had a, a, a healthy budget and... Right. They were breaking into the marketplace. You wouldn't think that there was such a demand, but there is. There's a massive demand when it comes to uh, dance schools selling products. And this brand wanted to make sure they were in every single dance school supply company. Um, And then beyond that, they wanted to be in toy stores because they had a version of their shoe that was a little less complicated. Um, And so at that point was I had to become a six-year-old girl 
buying my tap shoes. And then beyond that, I had to become that six-year-old girl's mom to buy the tap shoes because she was eventually going to be the purchasing decision. Right. And so all of a sudden I had to know, is this going to be the right height on the shelf? Is this going to be the right color? Is this going to be the right price point? Is uh, the shoe have a shelf talker to support it? You know, and I had to become that mom um, to be able to determine if I was going to buy brand A or brand B, you know, and that to me was a real kind of clincher to recognize that if you don't know your audience, there's a very good chance you're going to miss something. You don't understand them. So back in your early days of retail, when did service uh, become uh, the forefront for you? I think it was a, a catch-22. Um, and I, I don't like this word. It's commission. Um, because I believe strongly in pay for performance models. Trust me. Um, I think people should be recognized for the job they do and they should be paid and rewarded properly. Commission, however, took on kind of an ugly um, uh, outlook in the sense that it drove people to say and do things that may not have been completely truthful. Right. And I think back to the rag trade, you know, we're in retail clothing environments and, you know, you've got to hit your quota. And the bonus was when you hit your quota, you're going to get paid more. And so the drive wasn't necessarily to create happiness for the customer. It was to create revenue for you and for the company. And that's where I think people lost sight of what service really meant. And so, you know, people make fun of car salesmen all the time, given that it's a high commission, high pressure, furniture store sales, high commission, high pressure. And you automatically now feel walking into those environments after decades of being served the same way that it's not going to be a good experience, that you're going to have to beat off the customer service guy that's walking the floor waiting for you to buy. Do you think most clients are defensive when they walk into those environments? I think the guards are up. Yep. Um, and that's really where the brand and the person have a chance to be able to knock down the walls, uh, get rid of the barriers, and then get back to what they really are intended to do, which is to make the customer happy. And so in saying that, it's important to realize that the end goal isn't the sale. It's not the dollar. It's not the commission. The end goal is to create happiness. And that's got to be the foundation for service. That's where I think in 1940, when Sam came out to pump the gas, it was because he was genuinely happy that you were there and you were a patron of his. And he was sharing that happiness. You know, of course, not everybody's happy all the time. But at the end of the day, if you're opening an establishment, a restaurant, a hotel, a retail environment, um, you really have to recognize that the happier your customers are, the better you're going to do. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they had to buy today and they had to buy with pressure in mind. And so I think when commission was introduced and it became the norm uh, for retail and for sales and, you know, um, and really kind of just making people move the needle, they're moving it, you know, for reasons other than a genuine happiness. And that I think wasn't a mistake. How do you get a staff to buy in on that philosophy uh, without being, uh, I don't know, micromanaging in that sense, but you, you know, you have this strong uh, core belief. How do you, how do you pass that on to your staff? I think first and foremost, you hire people that are somewhat mirror images of you. And so there is a glimpse of you in them. And that's just a proven fact that, Genuinely or generally, you end up 
hiring people that somehow you see something in them that reminds you of you. And so you then recognize that maybe we can share the philosophy. And when you describe to them what it is you're trying to do, when they perk up and realize that, yeah, I get that. You know, um, in this environment, when we do sales training, and we don't even call it sales training, we just call it training. When we, we train our staff to um, be part of this environment, we tell them that this is our home and you're in our home, you're part of our family. And so every single person that walks up the door, up to the door is just like somebody coming to your home. So would you open the door and say nothing to them? No. Would you open the door and welcome them? Of course, that becomes a yes. And then you start to see where the conversation goes. So in the training, we talk about, wouldn't you, if you don't know this person, invite them in, let them know where the washroom is, tell them to take a seat. Can I get you a coffee? You know, can I get you anything to make you feel good? And of course, if you're welcoming somebody into your home, then let's treat it like a home. So let's take them around and show them. And, you know, that's not at all connected to a sale. There's no expectation to make a sale. There's an expectation to make a friend. And I love when retailers do this. And you know who did a really good job of this? It's um, Nordstrom. Mm. You know, the U.S. fashion-based department store uh, came to Canada not too long ago. Um, They have what they call a client book. And so every sales representative has a quota. They have to make so much money. And there is a commission structure there. However, it's not the foundation of their business. Their foundation is to make sure people are happy. They have one of the most incredible return policies in the market. Like uh, it's been said, I don't know how true this is, but it's been reported that Nordstrom accepted a tire for a refund, like a car tire. And when you think about how outrageous that is, it could simply be sensationalized because that's the kind of return policy they have, which is whatever, whenever, whether you've worn it, of course they discourage that, but sure. if you've worn it and it wasn't right, bring it back. And so all of a sudden you start to put that into the service equation. Wait a minute, this is a no hassle refund policy. I can make a decision right now and not have to worry about it, whether it's three months, six months, a year from now, I'm in. Like you've made it so easy for me to make a decision and I'm going to talk about it. And so apparently somebody returned a car, an automotive tire to a store and said, I bought this and um, it's not right for me. And as the story goes, they said, we don't sell tires. Was it a joke? What was this person? It could very well have been somebody trying to test the the policy. Um, But it's all over the internet. Not to say that that's true just because it's on the internet. But the point is, is that, they've now become so well known for that story that the reality of the refund policy has now made it to a conversation. They take anything back. You're safe buying there. So uh, I love that story and I love the idea of it. And to that point, um, when brands and companies get that and recognize it goes back to the user experience, then that's when service becomes full circle so that I'm making you feel comfortable that no matter what you're taking care of with me here. Well, how do you, how do you think so many companies miss that important um, philosophy of service? It's, it seems like it's the obvious choice, but yet, you know, you and I have walked into many places and right away you're just going, Oh, okay. You pick it up so quickly. How do you think they miss that? Do they just get caught up in, in what they're doing or trying to do? And Yeah, I think that, you know, at some point spreadsheets become the, the rule. Uh, the, the quota becomes the norm. 
the dollar amount means that you have to make this. And if you don't, you're failing. Um, and those metrics are important. Trust me, I get it. It's the business side of the operation. However, I've always felt very strong that if you do everything right, the business side will follow. And part of right is making sure people are happy. So how they miss it, I think, is where they're too caught up in the fact that they need to make that. And when they don't make that, they fail. And by saying that, I mean they need to make a certain amount of money. And I get the business logic behind that. But I think the, the way to be able to really make it is to focus on what makes people happy. And you're right. You walk into an environment and right away, you know, the part-time cashier or the salesperson or the, the clerk um, isn't into it. They're the wrong hire. They were brought in because they needed to make some kind of part-time money to put themselves through school or it was to supplement their full-time job or whatever it was, but the fit was wrong. And that's top-down. Management top-down ends up creating the environment and they'll hire those mirror images. So it's quite likely that the management was wrong. So when the ownership is wrong, you really can't do anything about it. But when everybody else is wrong, then you have a chance to completely clean house and make sure that everything is right. And that goes from the philosophy of service first, top down. And as soon as you have that, then you recognize that you can bring on these special moments. And to that point, you reward and applaud innovation in your team. And when somebody comes up with another way to be able to hit a service excellence standard, then you acknowledge that. In this environment here, you know, we, um, we have a, a communication tool like a WhatsApp where everybody shares, you know, uh, their stories from the day. We put our end of day reports in there and we acknowledge the people that have gone out of their way to represent us because every single one of them is a representative of all of us. And so it's not just my shop, it becomes Brandon's shop, it becomes Nico's shop, it becomes Frank's shop. And in saying that, they end up recognizing that we're collectively making a difference here. So we've got to pull up our socks and make sure that we're all at this gold level standard. And uh, nothing's more satisfying than when somebody comes back and said, I can't believe the service I got today. Like it was exceptional. Um, Exceptional to us is the standard. It has to happen. And if it doesn't, then we failed. And so I would even translate this a little further. You know, when you're coming, uh, coming up with, let's say, you're launching a product um, or you're hosting a conference. Um, when you, again, put the mind of the consumer, the user, the person who's going to visit you at the forefront of your mind, and you've made reasons for them to find this very entertaining, um, very inviting, then all of a sudden you'll see their reactions. And once you get those reactions, then it's almost like the superpower, this fuel that, that you, you begin to, to really uh, crave, you know, that you've made somebody so excited and happy that they've gone out of the way to talk about you. Then it becomes that kind of ongoing, I got to do it again. I got to do it again. And I think when you get back to that idea of, you know, how do you get staff to buy into that? That's a piece of it. So it's the reward for doing something great. It's the acknowledgement, because let's face it, more of us than not actually work for recognition beyond pay. Yeah, Pay is important, but recognition goes much further in the motivation side because we've seen environments before where, you know, uh, somebody would, let's say, uh, work for a while, get a raise, but they haven't really changed their performance. 
Um, other people have worked for a short point, uh, point in time and then got recognition and were put on the leaderboard and then they just keep going. They're motivated to do more. They're motivated to be part of this. They're motivated to continually be recognized as being exceptional. You know, and in, um, in the ad business, um, I jokingly said uh, after one meeting, you know, a customer or a client had complimented us on this launch and said that, you know, it was, uh, it was like delivering excellence. And I listened to that and I thought, my gosh, that's exactly what we do. We deliver excellence. And that became kind of our internal motto. It, you know, uh, our company delivers excellence. And that's the standard now that we all have to live up to. And as a result, um, it's actually improved the process. It's improved the outcome. And, you know, the, the, the customer experience has come back to tell us that there's nobody that does it like us. So I'm pretty proud of that. I think that's a, a really cool accomplishment in a, in a sea of, you know, messaging and, 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 uh, and, and competition. And this price is here, that price is there. And, you know, all of that is important to people, but it's not important to us. And I think the people that make a difference see it the same way. I just want to talk about COVID. I, I, there's a couple of questions that I have. You did say that um, as people are starting to, to get back uh, to work out to the world, because a lot of people have been quarantined or staying at home. Why do you think that the just the rise for the expectation of service was is that what you said was it expectation of service or they're going to be it's going to be more top of mind what do you think that is is that just time at home reflecting i think people have so much choice now that the standouts are going to be the ones that definitely made me feel better and made me whether happiness is my motivator then if you know me and you've hit that trigger for me, that emotional response that makes me feel happy, that makes me add something to my purchase, be it online because it was well marketed where many people like you bought this. And all of a sudden I'm looking at this going, well, listen, I can add this to my cart. And this has been a fairly painless experience right now. I'm enjoying it and I feel fulfilled. And then, you know, it's followed up with a quick email. Hey, thanks so much for shopping. We appreciate you coming by. All those touch points that would happen in, you know, a physical brick and mortar are being translated online in ways that, you know, are innovative, creative, and unique. And I think that given so much competition and so many places to purchase, that my expectation is that it has to be at this level. And it constantly is moving up the ladder where, you know, um, the likes of Amazon, as a perfect example have now set the bar. So anything less than that, you know, I can have a no-nonsense, hassle-free refund. You know, it's going to come with the documentation that I can print if I want, and I can go across the street to the UPS store to return it. Um, they've made that experience a pleasure for me, right down to ordering a burrito. I mean, the guys that get it right have employed good online tactics, online service um third parties that make the ordering process seamless. It's page by page. It's not complicated. Um, it takes me five minutes and I've ordered. I didn't have to talk to anybody because I, I didn't feel like it. So now they've served another piece of me, which is I'm time starved. I don't want to talk on the phone and chance of getting something wrong. Bang, 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 bang. I'm in, I'm out and it's a great experience. And so I've probably told more people about my burrito ordering experience <laughs> than I have anything in the last while because it was seamless and it was 
I got to be honest, it was something that I didn't expect. I expected it to go wrong because for the longest time, it's not been great. And then all of a sudden, we start to raise our expectation because somebody's gone ahead and done it right. Right. And that becomes our standard. My last COVID question is that um, a lot of people have been laid off, furloughed, lost their job, and have taken up a new, um, I don't know, hobby. And some of them are starting to think, hmm, maybe this hobby can, can be something. And they might have this entrepreneurial spirit. What kind of advice would you give those people that are toying with the idea of, you know, I'm going to give this a go. And what kind of advice would you give them in, in terms of to keep that service at the top of mind? I would say this, number one, understand your audience, develop a relationship with them so that you can serve their wants, their needs, um, make them emotionally satisfied with the experience and keep that at the very front of your mind in everything you do, whether it's that return phone call, whether it's that customer complaint, whether that customer is calling to give you a compliment. It's, it's so important that you recognizing how valuable they are to your environment, your situation, and what you're doing, they're the be-all and end-all. And, you know, of course, you're going to get the exceptions to the rule where people are, you know, in some cases just out there to kick the tires and cause problems. Those ones are insignificant. It's the ones that you've converted into lifelong customers because you knew them and you wanted to create an experience for them. So I'd say know your audience, number one, and keep on developing a relationship because the connection will last a lifetime if you nurture it and make sure that you're always taking care of their needs. Awesome. Well, I'm not going to start my pizza business yet even though it's it's been a, a dream i don't think it's just the time yet and uh, it's a lot of work it's a lot of work <laughs> no matter what you're doing uh, for any product or service it's a lot of work you got to put all the ducks in the right place but your pizza is phenomenal oh, thank you very much all right i think uh that pretty much wraps this uh, this podcast up it was a great conversation about service um you know i think we got other things we want to talk about in further podcasts but for now uh that's pretty much it. Do you have any any other things you want to add here? Know your audience, and thanks for listening, audience.